which actually is a good introduction to something that I did want to preface the sermon with, and that is that every year, traditionally, we have what we call a share service, which is a service around Thanksgiving time. It's the Sunday after Thanksgiving, which would be the 29th of November. And our tradition is that we take that time to just have an opportunity to publicly proclaim our gratitude to God. And if you've been here, if you've been at New Covenant Fellowship for any length of time, you know what that service looks like. Um, But I'd like to ask that you would begin to pray about whether God would have you to share a testimony. Reflect on your year. Reflect on your life. What has God done in your life this year? And perhaps the Lord would like for you to share that with the rest of the body to bring him glory and to edify the saints. We've also looked in the book of Nehemiah. We'll be in Proverbs today, but in Nehemiah, we looked at this idea of feasts and where God puts appointed times and days where his people are expected to come together and celebrate certain things. And the church has uh, their own holidays. The Old Testament calls the feast holy convocation. This is a holy day. Well, we get our word holiday is what? It's a holy day. These are days that the church has set aside to celebrate and exalt, exalt Christ. And now Thanksgiving, of course, is our American Um, For the most part, it's our American holiday, but it was instituted by believers who thought it was a great idea to just thank God for his generous provision, for keeping them alive. And and so that's kind of our our uh, national heritage. So I would just encourage you to pray about that and let me know within the next couple weeks if that's something that you would like to do. Maybe just a paragraph, it may be a few lines that, you know, I know God wants me just to say this at. Maybe a little longer, five or ten minutes. But um, let me know if the Lord moves on your heart so I can plan that service. I appreciate that. Also, before getting into the message, I just want to express deepest gratitude for the pastor's appreciation that we celebrated last week. And all of your gifts and notes of encouragement and the Together for the Gospel um, certificate. That I can attend. It was very thoughtful and it's always a very uplifting time. And in light of this morning's sermon about words, uh, you guys used your words wisely and you used your words to edify the Montagna family. And we really, really appreciate that. Uh, some of you may be wondering, well, what exactly is it like for the pastor on Pastor's Appreciation Day? And what kind of things are written and what kind of gifts are you talking about? Well, I can't share them all, but I do want to just share uh, one little word of encouragement and then one little gift that I received. So you have an idea of what it's like on my end. And uh, the gifts, the, the words I get, the things I get from the kids, not to undo the adults or to undermine the adults, but the things I get from the kids are awesome. They draw pictures of me preaching and sometimes of my wife and just different things, and they always have really neat things to say. So this is, I'm not going to identify this young man, this boy, but this person wrote, Dear Pastor Paul, thank you for preaching at the church. I really like that you are funny and that the sermons are not 10 hours long. (laughs) You know, so what an encouragement that is to me. Um, I'm encouraged that my sermons aren't 10 hours long either. So that... It's interesting that a lot of the kids comment on um, my humor, which 
I don't quite understand because I think I'm really serious up here, like really intense and heavy. Am I not? Am I deceived? And is it is, like I'm trying to be and you are, are you laughing behind my backs, like not taking me serious? I don't know what to do with that, but I'm glad you think it's funny and I think I'm hitting you hard with stuff. Now, I did get another gift just as an example of things that people give me. And I'm not going to uh, draw attention to this individual either. Um, But if they get real, real red in the face, they may give themselves away. But this is a very thoughtful gift. And it's in light of the fact that a few weeks ago we celebrated a fall festival and I ate too much as I usually do. And so I come in the next Sunday and make the comment that I had to go out into the shop and get a come along just to get my button or my britches fastened. And so this very thoughtful person gave me this gift. And it's a it says two waistband expanders. Um, two waistband expanders. Provides extra comfort for tight-fitting waistbands. That is very, very thoughtful. I'll be honest with you. I never knew this existed. I always thought you had to buy bigger pants. Uh, But apparently the person that gave me this knows about waistband (laughs) expanders. So, you know, see how blessed I am? I just... uh, You want me to be encouraged. You want me to be comfortable and free. And it's just a wonderful thing. So thank you uh, for all of that. Well, we are um, going to do what we love to do here at New Covenant Fellowship. And that is we're going to study God's word. We're going to crack it open. We're going to look at it. We're going to examine it. And we're going to, uh, Lord willing, apply it to our hearts. God's word is not just informational, but it's transformational. So as we look at this book of Proverbs and be all over the place this morning, um, that's our intent is to learn and to be transformed literally by God's word. We're on our ninth sermon in our series in this book of Proverbs, and this is part two of a series on wise words. Last time we looked at this idea of what I called control this morning, we'll look at the content of our speech, but we saw how important it is and. We don't always think about this. We often focus in on the content, but how important it is to God that we control our speech. And sometimes it means knowing when to say something, the right timing. And sometimes it means knowing not to say anything at all. It's amazing how many scriptures there were about just being quiet. And perhaps one of the most powerful, I guess if you wanted to call it, word in the English vocabulary is just don't say anything. Just be quiet. And and not saying anything is can actually be an incredible mark of wisdom or characteristic of wisdom. So just to see, just as a little pop quiz, just to see if we're ready to move on to part two and we have a proper understanding of what to say, when to say it, when to be quiet. I just wanted to throw a pop quiz out there. Uh, I'll direct this towards the husbands this morning Um, and just want to ask you a very simple question and see how you would handle it to give us an indication. The question would be uh, scenario is your wife comes up to you and she says, do I look fat in this dress? And how would you answer that? Don't 
Thank you. You, you passed the pop quiz. We are ready to move on to part two. Because I was thinking, anybody that's going to tackle that question has not learned about wisdom. That, is, that was a trick question, granted. But uh, just for fun, yes, now we can, having examined the importance of controlled speech, we're going to move on to content. And one of the things that Proverbs does which is very effective to teach us what the wisdom that we are to know is it contrasts things and it gives us examples of the right way and then the wrong way to do it. It doesn't just tell us all the right things to do. It shows us what it looks like in a good light and also in a bad light. So we'll look at some a lot of contrasts when we think about content this morning, the good side and the bad side. The first contrasting content of our words is just speaking wise things versus foolish things. The wise speak what is fitting. The, sp- the foolish speak what is what Proverbs will call destructive or degrading or perverse. So first verse, Proverbs 10:32. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. Proverbs 4:24. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Perverse speech, devious speech. Uh, It is becoming, of course, more and more common in our culture. You can just look at, watch one PG movie today and you will, the words will fly, conversation will fly. It's pretty obvious that we're not quite where we used to be. Now, uh, if you, um, I have the advantage of you know, being in my 30s, and so I've been around long enough to know that what that that things have changed with along with our kids and our childhood. When I was a kid in my house, if you said a dirty word, um, it was always my mother for some reason. I don't can't I just don't I don't have memories of my dad ever doing this. I don't know what that means. But anyway, if I said something was inappropriate in our household, my mom took me into the bathroom and she washed my mouth out with soap. She put soap in my mouth. I don't know. If, you experience that. But as a result, my mouth is very clean and sparkly. <laughs> but it, it, the, uh, it's a symbolism and it's a, it's a bad taste. Bad, these are bad words and they're yucky. And you need to clean your mouth out. So I don't think people do that anymore. I never did that to my kids. That I, can, I, did do, I did do that to my kids uh, a couple times. I had forgotten. Praise God. The tradition continues. But I think it's a powerful thing, uh, a powerful way, because it was a big deal for you to say a bad. Like if if you said a bad word in like kindergarten or first grade when I was a kid, like your classmates would be like, oh, I'm telling the teacher, especially the girls. And so but now it's just it's like no big deal. It doesn't even matter how young kids are. So there's a perverseness to our language and our culture that's taking place. The righteousness, um, the righteous have trained themselves to be discerning. They have trained themselves to filter their thoughts before they leave their mouth. Whereas the unrighteous, just they just let them fly. If it comes to their mind, if it thinks it makes them feel better, if it needs to be said, they just want to be inflict pain or whatever, they let it fly. But the righteous have taken the time to be discerning and filter things. And, of course, you filter it through what you know about God. You read God's word, you read the scriptures, and it gives you um, more 
material to filter things through. If you're a new Christian and you're, and you're new at, at the Bible, you don't have a lot of scripture verses, there's not enough to, there's not that much there to filter. But if you're a mature Christian and you've read God's word and you're, you're bouncing your thoughts and your ideas off of everything you know about God. And so before it comes out of your mouth, it's been subjected to the truth. And that's that's righteous and wise speaking. This this week, I um, talk about filters. It was a neat illustration because I was pumping water out of our pool to get it ready for the winter. And it was pumping at a, a fast rate, just kind of saturating the ground. And I watched the water just go through the grass and everything. And it's a filtering process. It's the, the grass and the dirt and everything is God. It's nature's way of filtering water so that we have clean water to drink. And it has to go through all those particles and all that grit and everything but the final product. And I thought, that's how our speech should be. It should have to go through all of God's truths and bounce off of this and this and this and this principle before we speak it. Um, The righteous want no part of the lips of the righteous. They want no part of um, degrading talk. And they'll go so far not only as to not say it themselves, but to remove themselves if they're around it. So sometimes you know how it is in conversations. Now, we live in a a fallen world, so we do have to build up tolerance and have some thick skin. We can't possibly think that you're going to make it through this world without hearing some degrading speech. But if you notice the conversations going in a certain direction and it's pretty much unredeemable, unredeemable, sometimes we just want to get out of there. And remove ourselves if it's not correctable. Sometimes we, we might want to confront it. But um, so, so that's what it kind of means to put it away in verse in 424. Put, put this thing away from you. Don't speak it and get away from it at times when you need to. And then Proverbs 1020, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. You've heard the expression, that person has a silver tongue. It means that they really have a way with words. And this is a person like the silver, the process of silver being refined. It's heated. It's reheated. It's heated again. And the more they work it, it's a lot, it takes a lot of work and time. But the more they work it, the more pure it becomes. This person is somebody who has painstakingly take the time to think about every word, even look about the the best way to even say one sentence. Okay, I could say it this way and this way and this way. I could I could arrange my words in this fashion. And I think this is the most effective way to actually speak this sentence. And they have put a lot of time and a lot of work into it. And as a result, they're incredible speakers. Uh, If I had a silver tongue, a 10 hour sermon might not be so bad. Jesus, um, people followed him around waiting for him to open his mouth. They, They wanted him to just start one of those teachings again, a parable or whatever. He was silver tongued because what came out was just profound almost every time. So this is um, the tongue of a righteous person. It takes work, but it's well worth it. The wicked is of little worth. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. Put that in your self-esteem class that you teach in Scripture. It even says that 
something that is not as valuable as something else. What are they talking about? Well, talk is cheap. You've heard that expression. And not only does perverse language go out, but there's so much talk out there that just is meaningless and valueless. I mean, people just go on and on and on and you come away and you haven't you have gained nothing. It has added nothing to your life. You've wasted perhaps hours and hours. There's no preciousness to it, no value to it. And so we, we want to. Think about what we say in terms of, is this wise? This is foolish and the consequences. Not only is timing important, and we looked at that last time, but tone. Tone is important. These are things you know, because this is practical stuff. Proverbs has been described as the application of theology. And this is what it would look like if you lived the Ten Commandments in real life. But Proverbs talks or contrasts softness versus harshness. Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And we know the two different kind of tones of voice we've used in ourselves. So the tone in which we say things can have a positive or negative effect. As you know... A soft answer has a soothing effect. It has the potential to cool people down, um, to, to help give them perspective. Uh, it, it ministers to our souls, we know, because our souls automatically, we want to feel safe. And if somebody's screaming at us, obviously we don't feel safe. We want to get away from that. So this kind of speech is is very warm and very inviting. How do we get our little ones that are just full of energy? How do we get them as the day begins to wind down? How do we get them to wind down? We sit them in front of speakers this big and play heavy metal, right? And say, now just go to sleep. No, we don't do that. We, We begin to even calm ourselves down and we scoop them up. And we'll rock them a little bit, we'll hum to them, or we'll sing soft songs, speak soft words, pray soft prayers over them, because we're settling their spirits. And it works. A lot of times they fall right asleep in our arms and we lay them down. It's the power of tone. Could you imagine saying, trying to get your child to sleep, you know, go to sleep, go to sleep, go, your eyes are still open. How are they going to do that? So the tone has a effect on people, even professionals in law enforcement. You see it on TV and I, maybe you guys do it in real life. But if it's a situation where their tempers are flaring, what they do is calm down, sir, just calm down. Everything's going to be OK. Just, put, just lay the gun down on the on the floor. Just lay it down. And so they, they, they speak back to those kind of hostile situations. With a cool, soothing voice. It works most of the time. You know, soft answer shepherds hearts. There was a, um, <clears throat> there was a TV show when I was growing up that I actually I didn't like it. And I, it was torture to make me watch it. But a lot of people liked it. It was Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. <laughs> uh, but if you could watch that, I had like, you know, 
Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner cartoons going on, and that was much more excited. But this, this guy was very methodical, very slow, very soft-spoken, very uplifting. I mean, he, he had a silver tongue. Um, and it was said that people, sometimes people, parents and professionals would bring children to him that just were very unruly, had behavioral problems, couldn't sit still, and they would, they would sit at his feet. Because they say his demeanor and his soft-spoken words, and they'd be like, what? How is this possible? But it was the power of a soft answer. Now, a harsh, a harsh word stirs up rage. It's, it's you know, stirring the, the, the pot. It's cutting. It's, it's painful. It's intense. It's, it's stirring up the heated feelings that are already there. Now, it's getting cool, and pretty soon I'm going to crank up my wood stove. And if you know anything about fires or wood stove, when it gets cold, sometimes you really need to crank it up. And the way you do that is you feed it with oxygen. You open the damper, or sometimes I crack open the door. Man, the coals that were just simmering, and they, they just burst into flames, and you get more heat out of it. That's what harsh words do. you got a situation where there's, there's just some coal simmering, and the best thing to do is just let them slowly go out. But the person with a harsh word, no, they're going to feed it. They're going to open the door. They're going to say things to stir the hearts up, to stir the minds up so that hard feelings flow and hostility flies around. It really can become a form of verbal abuse. You just keep people worked up. It's demeaning and it's degrading and you pummel them and you crush their spirit. Matter of fact, the harsh word, its very aim is to inflict pain. I'm saying this because I want you to be hurt. I want my words to hurt you. Isn't it a sobering thought that even our tone can have a positive and negative effect on people? What we say can build a spirit or crush a spirit. Proverbs 22, 11, He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. So the idea is that we can learn to speak in such a way that even people that are unapproachable will want to be in our presence. We can have that kind of effect by being tactful, by being sensitive. We can evoke a favorable response and accomplish wonders with just our tongue. Proverbs 25, 15. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. Now, what they're talking about there, the soft tongue is actually breaking the bone is a good thing. So a, a harsh word can break a person down, crush their spirits. You know what that's like. I hope you don't. But maybe you do. You know what it's like to have your spirit crushed when somebody just picks at you to no end, only speaks negative things, points out all of your faults, makes things up. But this verse, what this does is it reminds us that persistent, gracious speaking. It's the reverse of the harsh word. Persistent, gracious speaking can break a bone, meaning a hard, stubborn heart that needs to be broken, that needs to be reset. Just these gracious words, loving words, uplifting words can even pierce through that hard, stubborn heart that you thought was unreachable. 
So consistency, soft, kind words have that kind of power. And I gave the example of Mr. Rogers doing that. Now, move on to the next one. There's a lot of talk today about the economy is really suffering. The economy is bad. Things are tight at home. My wallet's not as thick as it used to be. And all that is true for a lot of people. But here's a connection that perhaps you've never thought of before. It's not just our wallets that can help our standard of living. According to Proverbs, your speech can actually enrich your quality of life. What? It's right in there in Proverbs twelve fourteen, And some other verses. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good. And the work of a man's hand comes back to him. The, the verses are similar. 13, 2. From the fruit of his mouth, a man eats what is good. But the desire of the treacherous is for violence. And then eighteen twenty, From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Whoever thought that simply being a wise speaker could actually enrich your standard of living, but it does. Because, because you are thinking about things before you speak them and, and you're, you're being kind and warm to people. So and, and you're filtering them so that evil and wickedness doesn't come out, but only good comes out. And it's the principle that you reap what you sow. You're reaping good things with your speech and good relation. You're building good relationships with the right people. And life shows you favor as a result of it and literally can enrich your lifestyle. So why speech yields Good things, good food, satisfied tummies, and good relationships. On the other hand, it's that, it's that wicked speech that does just the opposite. It's, it's destructive to society. It's destructive to people's physical uh, stature. And it can even cause financial ruin. Proverbs eleven nine, With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. But by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. In Proverbs 11, 11, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. The, the power of a slanderous, backbiting, gossipy tongue can't just affect one life. It can affect a whole family, can affect your, your own little community. Do we hear things going through rumors and stuff going through the community that affects people's morale and so forth? Yeah, we do. And it can work its way into a church, entire churches and even nations. Because, of course, now we have social media, we have TV and we can broadcast things. And when certain news comes across the airways, it affects millions of people. It can disrupt the unity and the stability of an entire People group, whereas people who say good, uplifting things enhance the reputation and enhance the stability of the home, of the church, of the community, and an entire nation because they speak honestly, they speak truthfully, they say what they mean and mean what they say, rather than verbal ambushes, which is in 12:6. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood. You know, some people. 
They set you up for a verbal ambush. It's, it's a terrible thing to see. The mouth of the right delivers. The mouth of the upright delivers them. There's that contrast. Do our words set people up? We want to ensnare them. We want to entrap them. We want to watch them bleed, so to speak. Proverbs 18.7 A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. 12.13 An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. See, this is a person that, they're, they're loose cannon. And they're very controversial about everything they say. They just pride themselves on speaking what's on their minds. And as a result, because of that controversy, uh, they, they hurt feelings and, and they push relationships. And they basically open themselves up to lots of harm. They're only laying landmines for themselves. And eventually they're going to step on their own landline. And it's all going to come crashing down upon them. So they open themselves up to shameful exposure to retaliation, even legal uh, penalties because of loose words. You can find yourself in court if you say the wrong thing. It will always catch up to us. Now, here's an example. So far, nobody's laughing, so I don't know how funny I am this morning. But here's an example of how our unguarded words and conduct can catch up to us even at the most inopportune Times. In a trial in the heart of the South, a prosecuting attorney called his first witness to the stand. It was a, a grandmotherly woman whom he had known since, since childhood. Her name was Miss Whitaker. And so the prosecuting attorney calls her up and he approaches her and he says, Miss Whitaker, do you know me? And she says, Why, yes. I know you. I know you, Mr. Coolidge. I've known you since you were a young boy. And frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You lie. You cheat. You manipulate people. Talk about them behind their backs. You think you're a big shot when you haven't the brains to realize you never will amount to anything more than a two-bit lawyer. Oh, yeah, I know you. Well, this shocked him. And you don't find... Lawyers for a loss of words very often, but he wasn't sure where to go from this. So he kind of panicked and looked around the courtroom and he pointed to the to the uh, defendant attorney, said, Miss Whitaker, do you know him? She said, oh, yeah, of course I know him. I've known Mr. Johnson since he was a youngster, too. He's lazy, bigoted, and he's got a drinking problem. He can't build a normal relationship with anyone, and his law practice is one of the worst in the entire state. I know him all right. So here you are, both red-faced. The judge is in the chair getting a little fidgety. The courtroom is silent. The judge says, counsel, please approach the bench. So the attorney and prosecutor come, and the judge looks them both in the eye and says very quietly, if either one of you ask Miss Whitaker, do you know the judge? <laughs> I will throw you in jail for contempt. <clears throat> so the righteous, they guard themselves 
from these kind of things, embarrassments. They guard themselves. They protect themselves from calamity by saying the right things, knowing what to say and what not to say. And they spare themselves landmines. They spare themselves a lot of embarrassing times and dishonoring um, moments for the Lord, like evil plots. They don't get away. They don't, they don't entertain them. They get away from them. There's conversations that if we're not careful, we can become a part of something we never dreamed of ever doing or becoming a part of just by association, just because we heard those words. So we need to be wise about that and not participate in those kind of things, in particularly uh, gossip. I'll talk about that in a minute. <clears throat> so the last thing we want is a Miss Whitaker in our lives. And then another contrast about content is healing versus hurting. Proverbs teaches us that words have the power to heal, wise words, and foolish words are degrading. They're destructive. They, they subtract from a person. They, don't, they demoralize people. Proverbs twelve eighteen. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Have, have you ever been thrust through with words? Um, to, to my shame, I was, and I'm still pretty good at it, though I'd like to think there has been some transformation that has taken place. Uh, but I was a sword thruster with my words. I prided myself on knowing what to say, mostly in the context of humor, not always wanting to harm the person, but just so everybody would get a good laugh and it would put me in a good light. So I've said and continue to say uh, very harmful, hurtful things. And that's what this verse is talking about. It's that rash word. It's thoughtless. It, it's tactless. It's very, very insensitive. And it's just like. A stab with a knife and it just its intention is to knock people down often so that you can elevate yourself. Um, a twisted, perverted tongue speaks evil purposely. And that is the very intent. And this kind of speech crushes people's spirits. There are. I know there's a lot of talk about self-esteem these days and positive thinking and positive words and so forth and speaking things into existence, all that edgy stuff. But in real life, what we say affects people. I mean, we serve a God that communicates. How do we know him? He speaks truth to us. He reveals himself. And he, he tells us that he loves us. He tells us how things are going to be. And it, he tells us, speaks the truth in love. It's what we need to hear. But we use communication. We can use it to build relationships and enhance it. Or we can use it, try to ruin people's lives if they'll let us. It's that powerful. And there are kids, especially when their minds and their souls are still forming, that if we fill them with, with demeaning things, then they don't have enough experience to bounce it off. Is this true or not? And they start believing it. And it has a terrible, it's a terrible, terrible form of abuse. And it's, we haven't even yielded a weapon. The only weapon we yielded was our tongue. It is that powerful. And we'll close by seeing it can also be a tree of life. 
It's not uncommon for children to suffer that kind of abuse from even in the family or from classmates. We have bullying where people are taking their lives based on what others have said to them. That's it. Just what others have said to them. It closes their world into this little dark spot and they feel like they can't escape. Talk about the power of words. Proverbs 26, 23 through 26. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not. For there are seven abominations in his heart, though his hatred be covered with deception. His wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. To me, this has got to be one of the lowest forms of speech. It's the person. I mean, like if you're mean and you speak your mind, at least you're honest about. And and I know to expect that you have you can have a reputation of being a gossiper and, and you can't escape it. This person specifically chooses words to say to you um, to manipulate you to to bring harm and evil into your life or so they can feed the evil desires of their own heart. This is a low, low life form of speech. This is the person that will will offer children toys and candy and speak in that soft word and say what he knows they want to say so he can kidnap them and abuse them and do whatever. This is the kind of deception that he's talking about. Um, I remember reading, it's been over a decade now, and I, try, I tried to Google it because it just affected me for some reason when it happened. But, uh, and I couldn't find anything on it. But I remember that there was a college student, I don't know if it was from Lynchburg, and I don't know if it was Liberty or Lynchburg College, but it was a college they were traveling east, I want to say, on 460, going home for the holidays or something. It was a young girl by herself traveling. And, of course, this all came out from the confession, I think, when they caught the guy. But she's driving down 460 by herself, and a guy pulls up beside her, is driving beside her, and he's, he's pointing to her vehicle like there's something wrong with it. Now, what, of course, if you're a single woman, what are you going to do? You don't want to keep driving and break down. You pull over the side and he presents himself as the savior. I'm going to save you. I'm going to help you. I know that you're vulnerable and you're young. And, and so let me correct this problem. And that's the last she pulls over. He pulls over. That's the last time she was ever seen. He deceived her into thinking that he was going to help her. And he kidnapped her and murdered her. I mean, this is somebody who knows what to say, knows the vulnerabilities of other people and um, and takes advantage of them. And it's a lot of the evil that we read about in our newspaper headlines today is this very thing. It happens through the false, deceptive words of others. I mean, if I walk up to you and say, hey, I mean you harm. Want to hang out with me? You're going to be like, uh, yeah, let me go get my gun first. So it's this deception. It's this cloak. It's, a, it's, it's the glaze on the pottery. And that's the illustration he gives because you got pottery. And if you look at pottery, when you make it, it's got all this little fine clack. Cracks in it, and it's not very appealing, but they put this smooth coat of glaze over it, and it, it, it corrects them all. So that what you see on the surface is something very, very nice and appealing. And it also reminds me, uh, kind of dates myself as well, 
Um, but leave it to Beaver. Uh, Eddie Haskell. Oh, Mr. and Mrs. Cleaver loved Eddie Haskell, the friend that used to come over because he knew all the right things to say. He, he really hoodwinked them, but he was no good. He just was no good. And that's a little lighter version of it. What does Proverbs tell us to do? Believe him not. The person that's deceptive and has evil intent in his heart, believe him not. So what is one of our best defenses against being taken advantage by these kind of people? Discernment. Character discernment. When we, when we know God's truth and we understand the nature of man, we do a better job at discerning what people all are really all about. We understand everybody has a sinful nature. And we need to be on a little bit of guard about uh, 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 over everybody, really. Believe him not. Judge the character the best you can. Even Jesus recognizes this as we wind down. He recognizes that we cannot afford to be naive in this cursed world. You just can't afford to be naive when he says in 1016 of Matthew, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Commentator Craig Bloomberg says, Shrewdness and integrity form a crucial combination. Shrewdness and integrity. That's the innocent as doves part. But it's not often found in the Christian church. In fact, we more often invert the two. Proving to be as guilty as serpents and as stupid as doves. Now, that's pretty harsh. But it's something to think about. Especially for new believers. When I was a new believer, I naively thought, oh, you're a Christian. You're not going to lie to me because the Bible says don't lie. I literally thought that because this, this was the, a new way of life for me. I trusted anybody that said they were a Christian. It didn't take long to realize that wasn't a good plan. Further, in talking about harmful speech is the backbiting tongue. We'll close with these, uh, the slander, the gossip, gossip and the backbite. Proverbs 25, 23. The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue, angry looks. It's like the nor'easter. You know it's coming. You can feel it in the air. A storm is brewing. So it is when the person with that reputation of backbiting Comes. Of course, that's the person that speaks behind other people's backs. They won't say it to their faces, but they will gladly share their stuff with everybody else that is willing to listen. And the idea, it's a secretive speech. It's, it's done in the darkness. Uh, of course, they try not to be found out, but eventually you're, you're always find out as sly and secretive as we may try to be. But it's vicious and it's slanderous. Uh, a good rule of thumb in this is to ask ourselves as we're speaking about others, would I say this to that person's face? If I'm talking about you to somebody else, would I say that to your face? Because more than likely, it's going to get around to that. So I have to ask myself, would I actually say this? And if I would be comfortable with that, then I don't mind sharing that with you. It's just a good rule of thumb. 
<clears throat> so backbiting and viciousness. A lady goes into a doctor's office with a high fever and chills. And the doctor returns with some very bad news. Says, ma'am, I'm very, very sorry to share this with you. But I've received the test back and the tests confirm it that you have rabies. And I'm afraid you don't have much time left to live. So the lady looks around the office. She finds a pad of paper and she grabs a pen and she frantically begins to, to write as fast as she can. And the doctor looks at this and, and he says, um, is that a list of people that you'd like to say goodbye, goodbye to? She said, oh, no, this is a list of people I want to bite. Okay, so flattering. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet, 29.5. Flattery. What's flattery? Again, it's knowing the right thing to say so that you can manipulate. You tell people what they want. You know they want to hear it. And it doesn't matter if it's true or not. You say that to them just so you can manipulate them and get out of them what you want. Proverbs 26, 28, flattering mouth works ruin, smooth talk. So people will lower their defenses and then you can work your evil and manipulate them. Along with backbiting, we have, of course, gossip and slander. And that's the idea. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. Most of the times you don't want to wait to see if it's true. You don't want to ask anybody, is what I just heard true? It's juicy and you want to talk about it. So you work it up. You want to tell as many people as you can, and that's gossip, that's slander, and it usually uh, revolves around unproven facts or unproven things. And it appeals to the flesh. It definitely is a weakness, even in churches, even in God's people, because it appeals to the flesh. Uh, gossip magazines sell like crazy. Worthless, valueless speech, articles. They sell like crazy, proving that people have often an insatiable appetite for this kind of speech. Um, There's a proverb for that, 18.8. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. And the idea is that it's very tempting and enticing and then you, you want it because it has a certain effect on your body. So you take it in and it goes deep, deep down. And then it, you become that person because it's so much a part of you. Now you are a bona fide gossiper. So people make a good living off of gossip, obviously. Juicy, juicy talk shows. I actually prepared this sermon, I think it was three or four weeks ago. And, and I was thinking of... Uh, we. We, our TV only gets a few channels. We hardly ever watch it. It's aggravating because it comes in and out, so we just leave it off most of the time. So I went on, uh, Googled Fox News programs and found a few choice talk shows. And just to give you an idea of the enticing titles of how you can feast on this kind of thing. So compliments of uh, Fox 35 programming. We have Jerry Springer show, uh, Undercover X's. If you wanted to watch that at a certain time with lots of reruns. Maury, the DNA will prove it. I was too drunk to make a baby. 
the Steve Wilkos show. I don't think she's pregnant. I think she's a prostitute. Uh, Jerry Springer, I'm psychic. He's cheating. See, this is the kind, this is, these are great examples of what not to do with your time and your words and your thoughts. But it's also an example, a bad example in a bad light of how it can stir people up. Now, what do they have on these talk shows? Bodyguards. Why? Fights always break out. What do you expect when people get under people's skin like this and say this kind of stuff? It ruins whatever peace and stability was, was there. They just, it's a part of the entertainment and the show. But it's, it hurts in real life. Proverbs 16:28. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. You ever said something, maybe you're not characterized by it, but in a moment of weakness, you said something even about a close friend and the relationship's never been the same. Whispers, secret things like that can even wedge themselves between very, very close relationships. Proverbs 20:19. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. They betray confidences. They discredit people. And it's at a great, great cost. Not going to go. Don't have time to go into it. But Proverbs also speaks in 26, 18 through 19 about the jokester. Another thing. A good, clean joke isn't bad. But we have to be careful about jokes that really bring harm to people. And the scripture says, I'm only joking kind of thing. Um, But I want to close with the healing power of our words. Keep in mind that when we transform our lives to the gospel, the gospel is all about rebuilding our hearts and our relationships. So when we conform ourselves to the image of Christ, we can expect that things will get better as far as heart to heart, of course, relationship with God and others. That's the That's what we reap when we sow these kind of things. And so literally, if there's tension in our marriage, if there's tension in our home, we can play a part without even going to counselors or reading books. We can play a part in beginning to remedy that and heal that without buying a thing or spending a penny. By thinking about what we say, by practicing speaking kind, gracious things, By breaking bad habits and ruts that we've been into perhaps for years and years. This really works. It really builds people up. Our hearts and souls, children and adults alike, are looking for safe places. It's how we were created because God's a safe God. And so we can play this part in our home, in our church. We can determine to be a church that doesn't gossip. A church that doesn't deceive. That isn't superficial and says one thing and does another. We can be a church that just agrees, say, without anything written, just this unspoken agreement. We're going to be a safe place. And when we're brothers and sisters in Christ, you've got a safe place to speak. And we're going to get away from the kind of gossip if if it starts or if God prompts, maybe confront it. If it's an opportune time, just confront it. Where did you hear that? How does that build somebody up? Not that I'm self-righteous. We're, we're all sinners. We're all, we all have weaknesses in this area. But just the power of the tongue literally can begin and is beginning to transform us to the image of Christ. 
And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. 1821. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. People love it. People love gracious speech and kind words. And we have lots of people in this congregation. We're so blessed that you have taken the time to refine your speech. And you're very careful at what you say. And it pays big, dividend, big dividends. There's people in here that, um, that build me up like no other. Several of you, actually, that just know what to say. You're patient. You know the timing. You know the tone. I'm so blessed to be in this safe place in this family of brothers and sisters in Christ. And it pays well in my ministry. Well, I'm sure that the study of God's wise words has revealed some things that we need to stop saying. And I just want to encourage you to just take the time. Stop. We're going to have a time of worship and then communion. Let the Holy Spirit minister to your heart. Communicate with him. Let the wisdom seep down into your inner being instead of truth, instead of gossip, so that we become people of truth, salt and light. So stop the hurt. Just take the time to make that commitment. Stop the hurt. You won't regret it. I'm sure that this study on wise words has also revealed some things to us that we should be saying. We should be saying to those we love. Those that are our neighbors and we're not. I just want to encourage you to take the time. Think about those things and begin to speak them. Start somewhere. Begin to speak them. Tell that person, I love you. They need to hear it. Tell that person, I am sorry. I've offended you. They need to hear it. Tell that person, I love you just the way you are. If you never change one little bit, I just love you like this. People need to hear that kind of talk. Your, pa- your pastor's appreciation notes of encouragement minister to my heart and minister to my soul. So I close with this. Words are literally ministry. And it's a healing ministry. Tree of life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. It is a healing ministry. We can heal. Play a part in that with our words. And then, of course, there's something that every believer should want to say. And that is to others and that is to the lost and that's the good news. One thing that should flow from our mouths is that God loves you. That God has provided a way for you to be saved from your sins and to come into the family of God and be safe and loved by God like no human can do. And that's the good, the good news of the gospel. We want to be sure that we use that. People need the Lord. Now, I don't like that song, but people really do need the Lord. And the way they're going to hear about it is if we tell them. So let's also, as we worship God and as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, contemplate these things and let them transform us. Let us continue to worship and be transformed by the Spirit of God. Let us pray and be people of wise words. And may God bless the preaching of his word.